Hello, and welcome back to the QUB GP Society podcast series, entitled Common Conditions in General Practice. Thank you to all of you who have subscribed to our podcast series. If you haven't already done so, why not hit the subscribe button now, so that you can keep up to date with all our latest episodes. If you are enjoying our podcast series, we would also really appreciate if you could leave us a review to help us further increase our reach. But now, on to today's episode. My name is Davog McCaffrey, and I am the president of the Queen's University Belfast GP Society. Thank you for joining us. In today's episode, we will be discussing arthritis, a condition that is commonly encountered in a primary care setting. We will be discussing two common categories of arthritis, namely degenerative or osteoarthritis and inflammatory arthritis, with a specific focus on rheumatoid arthritis. Osteoarthritis is sometimes referred to as wear and tear within the joints. Unlike rheumatoid arthritis, it is not an inflammatory condition. Osteoarthritis occurs at the synovial joints, for example the knees, hips, sacroiliac joints, the wrist, the distal interphalangeal joints in the hands, the MCP joint at the base of the thumb, and the cervical spine. In terms of etiology and pathophysiology, osteoarthritis is a result of a degenerative process involving articular cartilage, extracellular matrix, and subchondral bone, ultimately leading to structural issues within the joint which causes pain and limitation of function. There are a number of risk factors associated with osteoarthritis, including increasing age, being female gender, obesity, occupation or mechanical work stress, trauma and a family history. The clinical features of osteoarthritis help to differentiate it from an inflammatory condition like rheumatoid arthritis. Osteoarthritis presents with joint pain and stiffness. This pain and stiffness tends to be worsened by activity and eased with rest. It can also lead to instability, deformity and a reduction in movement and function. There are some specific signs in the hands associated with osteoarthritis, including Heberden's nodes in the distal interphalangeal joints, Bouchard's nodes in the proximal interphalangeal joints, a squaring at the base of the thumb at the carpometacarpal joint, a weak grip, and a reduction in the range of motion. Investigations leading to the diagnosis of osteoarthritis often begin with a clinical assessment of the condition in a primary care setting. A general practitioner may then refer their patient for a plain film x-ray. Osteoarthritis has four characteristic features on x-ray. You might find it helpful to use the mnemonic 
loss to remember these. L stands for the loss of the joint space. O stands for the presence of osteophytes. S stands for the presence of subchondral cysts, or fluid-filled holes within the bone. And S stands for subarticular sclerosis, or increased density of the bone along the joint line. 2014 NICE guidelines state that a diagnosis of osteoarthritis may be made clinically without investigations. If a person is aged over 45 and has activity-related joint pain and has either no morning joint-related stiffness or morning stiffness that lasts no longer than 30 minutes. When considering the management of osteoarthritis, it is useful to begin with conservative management. This includes things like educating the patient about their condition, encouraging them to lose weight if they are obese, or to engage in resistance training and improving their general aerobic fitness. Other members of the multidisciplinary team can also be involved in the management of osteoarthritis. This includes input from physiotherapy for strength and support, occupational therapy, and podiatry for orthotics to support activities and function. Medical or pharmacological management begins first line with the use of paracetamol and topical non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs in the treatment of knee and hand osteoarthritis. Topical capsaicin cream, which is derived from chilli powder, may also be tried as an adjunct. It is thought to inhibit the transmission of substance P in sensory neurons. Second-line treatment involves adding an oral non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drug, co-prescribed with a proton pump inhibitor for gastroprotection. You may then move on to use opiate drugs, such as codeine or morphine. However, these drugs should be used cautiously, as they do have significant side effects, affecting the gastrointestinal, neurological, autonomic and cutaneous bodily systems. There is also the risk of patients becoming dependent on these drugs. Intraarticular corticosteroid injections may also be used as an adjunct in moderate or severe pain. In very severe cases, you may consider surgical management. This often involves joint replacement or arthroplasty, but is only used in patients who are refractory to medical management. The hip and knee joints are the most commonly replaced. We will now begin to discuss rheumatoid arthritis, which is a chronic, autoimmune, inflammatory, symmetrical polyarthropathy, with symptoms lasting for greater than six weeks. Rheumatoid arthritis affects approximately 1% of the population. In terms of the pathophysiology and etiology, Rheumatoid arthritis involves the breakdown of immune tolerance and synovial inflammation. The panis of the joint erodes through the cartilage into the bone. 
Approximately 70% of all patients with rheumatoid arthritis are female. It tends to develop in the middle age, but can present at any age group. A family history and a smoking history are particularly relevant as these increase the risk of having rheumatoid arthritis. There are some genetic associations with rheumatoid arthritis. HLA-DR4 is a gene often present in rheumatoid factor positive patients and HLA-DR1 being a gene also occasionally present. Clinically, Rheumatoid arthritis presents as a symmetrical distal polyarthropathy with three key symptoms, pain, swelling and stiffness. Unlike the pain in osteoarthritis, in inflammatory conditions like rheumatoid arthritis, the pain is worse after rest but improves with activity. This usually means that for rheumatoid patients, their pain is worse in the morning. The pain and stiffness in rheumatoid arthritis often involves the small joints of the hands and feet, particularly the wrist, ankle, metacarpal phalangeal joints of the hands and the proximal interphalangeal joints of the hands. Importantly, rheumatoid arthritis often spares the distal interphalangeal joints. Patients may also present with larger joints being affected, like the elbows, shoulders or knees. As well as the localised joint symptoms, patients may present with generalised aches, weaknesses, fatigue, weight loss and a flu-like illness. As in osteoarthritis, there are some specific signs that can be found in the hands. For example, a swan neck deformity, which is hyperextended proximal interphalangeal joints and flexed distal interphalangeal joints. Boutonniere's deformity, which is hyperextended distal interphalangeal joints and flexed proximal interphalangeal joints. Ulnar deviation of the fingers at the metacarpal phalangeal joints and a Z-shaped deformity of the thumb. Rheumatoid arthritis can also affect the cervical spine through atlantoaxial subluxation. Patients with a history of rheumatoid arthritis should be assessed thoroughly, particularly if they are to undergo an operation or general anaesthetic. Rheumatoid arthritis may have other systemic complications affecting a wide range of bodily sites and systems. These include the eyes, in the form of dry eyes, scleritis and Sjogren's syndrome, the skin, in the form of rashes, vasculitis, rheumatoid nodules and ulcers, the cardiorespiratory system, with pericardial and pleural effusions, plus associated pulmonary nodules or fibrosis, and the neurological system, with peripheral neuropathies or entrapment, like carpal tunnel syndrome. It is worth mentioning Felty syndrome, which is rheumatoid arthritis with associated neutropenia and splenomegaly. The diagnosis of rheumatoid arthritis 
is mainly a clinical diagnosis, but there are some important extra investigations which must be carried out. Firstly, clinicians should check for rheumatoid factor, which is positive in 70% of patients with rheumatoid arthritis. If a patient is rheumatoid factor negative, you can then move to check the anti-CCP antibodies, which is a more sensitive and specific test. You may also want to check general inflammatory markers, such as CRP and ESR. It may also be useful to get an x-ray of the patient's hands and feet. On x-ray, you may see joint destruction and deformity, soft tissue swelling, juxta-articular osteopenia, and bony erosions. NICE recommends referral for all adults with persistent synovitis, even if the aforementioned tests are negative. This referral should be urgent if it involves the small joints of the hands or the feet, if it involves multiple joints, or if symptoms have been present for greater than three months. In making their diagnosis, clinicians can then apply the American College of Rheumatology and the European League Against Rheumatism, ELAR, diagnostic criteria from 2010. Patients are scored on a range of factors, including the joints that are involved, the serology in terms of their rheumatoid factor and anti-CCP, their inflammatory markers, and their duration of symptoms. Their score is totaled, and a score of greater than or equal to 6 in the criteria is required for a definitive diagnosis. Once a diagnosis of rheumatoid arthritis has been made, it is useful to begin to assess the disease activity using a scoring system like DAS-28. This takes into account 28 swollen or tender joints, as well as the patient's inflammatory markers, their ESR and CRP. We will now discuss the management of rheumatoid arthritis which must always be made in a multidisciplinary manner. In terms of conservative management, NICE recommends appropriate footwear with regular hand exercises for patients. The treatment of rheumatoid arthritis must be both early and aggressive. Tycora protocols refer to tight control in rheumatoid arthritis. First-line treatment involves early administration of disease-modifying anti-rheumatic drugs, or DMARDs, plus short-term glucocorticoids. These drugs should be offered as soon as possible, ideally within three months of persistent symptoms. It is useful to offer a combination of DMARDs, namely methotrexate plus one other, such as sulfasalazine, hydroxychloroquine, or another agent. These DMAR drugs have a wide side effect profile. For example, methotrexate is associated with hepatotoxicity, pulmonary fibrosis, and myelosuppression, 
and it must be stopped at least six months before a woman tries to become pregnant. Sulfasalazine includes hepatotoxicity and a reduced sperm count, while hydroxychloroquine side effects includes retinopathy. Other agents which are less commonly used may include gold or penicillamine. Once at least two of these drugs have been tried in combination, the third-line treatment is methotrexate plus a biologic therapy. Usually this is a TNF inhibitor, such as infliximab, adalimumab, or etanercept. Again, these biologic drugs have a wide range of side effects, including reactivation of infections such as tuberculosis and hepatitis B, plus an increased risk of general infection. Fourth-line therapy is methotrexate plus rituximab. This again is a biologic drug and is only used in cases which are unresponsive to the previous biologic agents. It is important to consider that biologic drugs are always changing and developing, so do check out the latest information and guidelines. It is also important to note that a short course of steroids may be used at first presentation or during flare-ups to quickly settle the disease, and non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs may be effective, but they do carry a high bleeding risk so should always be prescribed with a proton pump inhibitor. As in the case of osteoarthritis, you can always consider surgical management, but this is only indicated in the presence of debilitating deformity or loss of function, or if symptoms do not respond to medical therapy. Prognosis in rheumatoid arthritis patients varies from patient to patient. However, there is a worse prognosis with male patients, patients with younger onset, with more joint and organ involvement, with rheumatoid factor and anti-CCP positive, or with erosion seen on x-ray. In summary, arthritis is a common condition which is seen by general practitioners in a primary care setting. It is important to distinguish the differences between degenerative arthritis or osteoarthritis and inflammatory arthritis, such as rheumatoid arthritis. In all cases, the management of arthritis must be undertaken in a multidisciplinary manner. Conservative management is always important before moving on to pharmacological management. For patients with arthritis, surgery is always an option, but should be reserved for severe cases or those that are refractory to medical management. We hope you have enjoyed today's podcast on arthritis. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so that you can keep up to date with all the latest episodes. If you are a medical student, Please spread the word amongst your friends and colleagues so that we can further increase our reach. You can also check out our society on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram where we will post of all important announcements and events. 
We look forward to you joining us again next week. But until then, thank you and goodbye.